Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, church, listen. Here's where we left Jesus, if you recall. Remember, Jesus was teaching the Jews, and he was also teaching his disciples. Now, he had a group of people called his disciples that were thrill-seekers. They were following because they wanted a free meal. So they're following Jesus. Man, my, my tummy is rumbling. I'm following Jesus. Now, where we left him, if you recall, we left him with a hard saying. It was a very hard saying, right? If you recall, they were all stressed up with no place to go, right? And you go, what do you mean? Well, in verse 58 of chapter 6, Jesus just informed them. He told them, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Okay, they had been arguing about manna and, and our fathers ate manna in the desert and you fed them and Jesus, what are you going to do? And, and so Jesus is, is dialoguing with them and he says, the bread, right? The bread that your fathers ate, the manna, they're dead. They ate that and they died. They still died. He says, but whoever eats this bread will live forever. Now they're looking at him, their jaws drop, their eyes open. And you go, what do you mean? Because it tells us in verse 60, it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, here's what they said. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now, they, it's not that they didn't understand. It's not that they couldn't comprehend. He, here's another rendering. It says, man, this is like they're tripping out and they're going, man, this is a tough teaching. Are you serious? How are we going to eat you? How, what do you mean by that? And it was so tough that they couldn't swallow it. The NEB says it like this. This is more than we can stomach. Why listen to such talk? I mean, they're, again, they're, they're, they're tripping out, right? And you go, well, why? Well, the word heard or hearing, it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard, it's used in two sentences in this verse. The first way it's used is they heard him. They actually heard the words coming out. They got it. But the second way it's used is they didn't understand it. They couldn't hear him. They couldn't stomach it. They're going, no, 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 no. It's hard to swallow. And I started thinking about this. Could it be, guys, that they were listening but they couldn't hear what Jesus was really saying? You go, what do you mean? Well, I believe there are times in the Bible when we, when we hear the Lord speak to us very clearly, but we just don't get it. And we keep moving, and we, and we sort of put it away, and we sort of not listen to the word of God. The Lord asks us to repent in certain lives, certain things in our lives. We're, we're walking down a crooked path, and he says, hey, 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 listen, you need to repent. Oh, I'm just not going to listen that right now i'm going to come over here and do my thing and so again maybe that's what the disciples are doing it's too tough i don't know what you're talking about this means a this means a change if you want me to partake of this see the text says one thing i don't know if you caught it guys the text says that jesus gave him an eternal truth and yet they're saying this is hard to swallow now listen at one point we can grasp that there's tr- that, that sometimes the truth is hard to swallow is it not truth is always hard to swallow The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Why does he say that? Why does the Bible say truth in love? Because truth alone is hard to swallow. And it must be wrapped in love. See, Jesus desires, guys, you and I, listen to me. Jesus desires us to walk with him all the days of our lives. And what I mean by that is not walking with him in the fact that we have a Christian bumper sticker or we put on a T-shirt and we say, I love Jesus, but But here's the thing, he desires for us to walk with him from the moment we get up in the morning to the moment we go to bed, that he's a part of, he's every part of our lives. We don't just, we don't just go, hey, well, you know, Jesus is my number one. He's my number one. And listen, Jesus, listen, we've got this deal with Jesus. Jesus from eight o'clock on Sunday till 12 o'clock on Sunday, it's all yours. 
Hallelujah, it's yours. But from 12 to the rest of the week, that's mine. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus means every part of you, every thought you're thinking, and you want to glorify him in every part. Your job, your home life, all of that is encompassed in who Jesus is. So what does he tell us? He says, guys, listen, in order for you to have eternal life, he looks at them and he says, he says, um, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. What's he talking about? Well, here's what we learned, right? We learned three things that we can take to heart. Feeding on Jesus by faith, number one, is necessary for eternal life, okay? Eating Jesus and drinking his blood and is basically believing in or appropriating his death on the cross as your only hope. You go, what do you mean? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, but you have to believe and you also have to appropriate. You go, what do you mean? Okay, let's just say that someone came up to me and handed me a million dollar check. Wow, it's a million dollars. I am a millionaire. No, 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 not yet. Why? Because I have not appropriated the check. I'm a millionaire. How do you know? Got a check in my wallet. Really, Ben? When I appropriate the check, sign it out. Hey, is this going to be covered? Is this a joke? No, sir. It's real. It's legit. Millionaire. I have to appropriate it. That's what Jesus, he's saying, listen, for you to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, you have to believe in, put your faith and trust in, but you also have to sign the check. You have to appropriate. What's that? Appropriate personally his death on the cross as your only eternal hope. You can't hope you're going to be saved because of your spouse. You can't hope you're going to be saved because of your parents. It needs to be done personally. The second thing we learn, church, feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary. For what, man? Temporal nourishment, right? Temporal nourishment, Why? When you feed on Christ by faith, you become more and more like him, and you can enjoy a close relationship with him. What do you mean? You are what you eat. And the more you eat of the Lord, the more you partake, the more you study, the more you pray, the more you become like him and the more you walk like him. That's what he's saying. It's important for our, for our, our daily nourishment. Like every single day we get up and we go, okay, what are we having for breakfast? What are we having for lunch? What's for dinner, honey? We're eating. We're getting the nourishment to fuel these bodies. But, but when we don't do that spiritually, then we sort of get sick. And, and it's important that we... How many times do you eat spiritually? How many times are you feeding? Well, pastor, I come on Wednesdays and I come on Sundays. No, no, no. I'm talking, are you eating every day? Are you eating every day? Oh, I just don't have the time to listen to a Bible study every day. I'm talking about have your Bible, open it up in the car, on your desk, wherever it is, and let the nourishment of God's word speak to your heart. You are what you eat. Number three. Feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for temporal and eternal satisfaction. Can I just say this to you, church? There are a lot of people in this world walking so unsatisfied. Did you realize that we are, guys, as a nation, as a world, we're spiritually minded, but not Christianity minded? We want something spiritual. We're looking for psychics. We're looking for mediums. We're looking for spirit guides. We're spiritual, but we're not following the one and the truth, who's Jesus. And so we walk around going, man, I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not satisfied. I'm not satisfied in my life. Hey, ask yourself one question. Why am I not satisfied in my life? Why am I not satisfied with what, what's going on? And because, again, think about it. Have you been feeding on him? Think about this, guys. Keep this in mind. 
The opposite of being satisfied in our lives is this. You ready? Jot this down. It's depression. When you're not satisfied, you find yourself depressed. Number two, it's your disappointment. There's displeasure. There's gloom. Dissatisfaction, failure, melancholy, pain, all of these things are associated when you're not satisfied in Christ. Why are you so bummed out? Well, you know... Well, why is life such a drag? Well, because, again, where have you been feeding? You know what? One of the places, guys, do you want to know one of the places that will always bring dissatisfaction? Social media. Right? We're trying to live in a Pinterest world thinking, man, look at this. How come my cakes don't turn out like this? How come my life doesn't look like hers? How come my marriage doesn't look like that? It's Pinterest. And, and we get so disappointed, guys. We get this. Well, you know what? This girl is always posting on, on, on Snapchat and, and Twitter and, and Instagram. She's just got the most wonderful husband and everything, and my husband doesn't even bring me flowers. Is that the, okay, help me. Is that the truth? Right? Guys, be careful because it's going to... Listen, here's what I put. When we feed on anything other than Jesus, we can become dissatisfied, we can feel like a failure, and we can endure the pain. Endure the pain. Be careful what you feed on. If you're on social media more than you are in the Word of God, be careful what you're feeding on. Be careful what you're feeding on. So in John chapter 6, 60 to 71, right, Jesus gives them a hard saying. They're going, man, I don't understand. This is hard to swallow. This truth is hard to swallow. Guess what happened? Many of his disciples left him. They deserted him. And it's like, wow, what's the difference? Well, we saw the difference between deserters and true believers, right? There was a lot of people going, geez, wait, you want me to do that? No, Jesus, I'm out. Sweetie, let's go pack up the lunch. He's not going to feed us. Let's go, Right? You can imagine there were some people there with a bunch of Tupperware hoping Jesus would feed them and he'd have extra. And so they're upset. And so they're like, we're out, Jesus, we're done. And they left him. And there's a lot of people today, guys, that leave the Lord because they don't think, they don't know who he is. And when, they don't, when he doesn't live up to their expectation and understanding, they turn and walk away from him. You and I saw the difference last week between deserters and true believers. You go, what are there? Well, deserters grumble, right? They grumbled and complained. Well, true believers trust. Deserters rely on themselves while true believers rely on Jesus. And deserters stay strong, or I'm sorry, deserters start strong while true believers finish strong. Here's the point, right? Listen, guys, we, are all, we, we, we all want to be true believers, right? And we all start on the same place. But here's what I would implore you today. Finish well. Finish strong. Okay, it's not where we start. It's where we finish. It's where we finish. We have a friend of ours in this church who's going through a really bad time. Really bad time, okay? Diagnosed with brain cancer. Doctors told him, sorry, sir. You don't have much time to live. Enjoy your life as you live. So he texts me from time to time, and he's struggling, and he's, what do I do? And my words to him are always, finish well, sir, finish well. The race that you've been set before you, finish well. Because why? 
deserters start strong, but true, believe, true believers finish strong. So now we come to chapter 7. It's a whole new section, guys. If you're taking note, the next two chapters turn our attention back to Jerusalem. Okay, And it's going to start with something called the Feast of Tabernacles. So now we've made a shift. We've made a shift. Now, if you're taking note, I'm calling this message, Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking. And I know you're thinking, hey, isn't there a movie like that? Look Who's Talking is about the little baby who comes out talking, right? And he, yeah, I think that, no, 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 has nothing to do with John Travolta. Here's what we're going to learn, right? For today, we discover that a lot of people are talking. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of murmuring going on. There's a lot of people talking, but they're misinterpreting who, who Jesus is and, and, and basically what he's all about. They're, they missed it. Even his family failed to see who Jesus was. Even his family, even his brothers. So in this section, guess what's happening, guys? John prepares us for what's to come by setting the stage. You go, what do you mean? Well, we see in Jerusalem, guys, that there's an abuzz with conversation and whispers. Jesus has made a name for himself, right? He's always made it. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is going to come to the feast. He should. He's a Jewish male. He needs to come to the feast. Wow. And you're going to see what they're saying about him, right? The problem is, listen to me, everybody's talking, but with very little substance is said. Not a whole lot. There's a lot of talk going on, but not a whole lot of substance, right? We see that even Jesus speaks the truth, and even people misinterpret him. Misinterpret him. If you're taking notes, church, this morning, we're going to discover three types of people who misinterpret Jesus. Three types of people. You ready? Jot this down. Number one, we're going to see his advisors. His advisor, this is his brothers, right? And you know what they're going to do? They're going to give him worldly wisdom based on their own understanding. Ever done that? Ever done that to God? I'm going to, God, let me give you some advice. We're going to see some advisors. Number two, the second group of people we're going to see are his admirers. Admirers, okay? These are people who think Jesus is a good man based on his ethic, based on what they see. But they don't understand his divinity. And number three, we're going to see despisers. Despisers. These are people who think Jesus is the deceiver. Let me say that again. You've got his advisors. You've got his admirers. And then you've got his despisers. Everybody got that? Let's jump into our text. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he did not walk, want to walk in Judea. Because, guess what? The Jews sought to kill him. This blows my mind, right? This blows my mind, okay? Now, here's what we need. We need to do some work, right? You need to understand that, right? From chapter 6 to chapter 7, here's what I want you to know. There's a six-month gap, okay? There's a six-month gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7. So what was Jesus doing? Well, all the other gospels will focus on the details of that six months, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're all going to give you details of what Jesus was doing in the six months. But let me tell you this, John doesn't do this. If you ever wondered and said, why is John's gospel so different? Here's why. John, remember, he's going to give a snapshot. He's just going to give us pictures. But here's his focus. His focus is not on the detail so much as in the deity of Jesus. The other gospels are going to go, yeah, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and you can go back, and you can just look at all the other gospels, but John is going to go, look, I, I, they'll, they'll give you the details. I want to give you the bigger picture. I want to show you that he's God. And so again, it says this. It says that Jesus walked in Galilee. He didn't, what, he didn't, walk, he didn't want to walk in Judea, and the reason why, obviously, right? 
Where did Jesus walk? Jesus walked because he didn't want to walk in Jerusalem because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, keep this in mind again, church. The Gospels fill in the six months with details, but John is more concerned with the deity. For six months, though, Jesus is ministering in Galilee. Everybody got that? But he's ministering in a more remote region. Here's what you need to understand. Your attention, please. Jerusalem is the center of religious activity. Everything's going on in Jerusalem. Everything's happening, right? Spiritually in Jerusalem. Jesus goes, no, 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 I don't want to go there yet. I'm going to minister over here in Galilee. I want to minister in this remote area. And you go, why did he do that? And here's what I love about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is not interested in being famous? He's more interested in, in, in saving the common folk, hanging out with the common folk. He's, he's more interested in getting down with people who, who are interested in loving him and not just wanting to be a part of a, hey, I'm part of the Jesus, I'm part of the Jesus movement, right? He's with the blue-collar crowd of Galilee, guys. He's there with the hard-working fishermen. He's walking with the shepherds all among the hills, and he's teaching them. And there he is working with his hands and the carpenters. And I love that. Why? Because it makes me feel so special that God was like, listen, I'll come down to you. I'll hang out with you. Well, Lord, wouldn't you want to hang out with the more upper echelon, you know, the, the government, the dignitaries? And the guy's like, nah, Jesus is like, man, I'm going to hang out with you. And I love that. I love that about the Lord. That's what he's doing for six months. For six months, he's hanging out with us, guys. And he's showing us things and he's teaching us things. And we get to, we get to hang on his every word. What a great heart the Lord has. Another reason, guys, that he doesn't want to go to Jerusalem is because, well, listen, it says here that the Jewish leaders want to kill him. So I got to ask this question. Help me. Why do people want to kill Jesus? Why do people want to kill him? He's got a mark on him. He's got a hit on him. And I'm like, why would you want to kill a guy? Listen, what did he do? Well, we want to kill him. Why? He fed people. He fed 5,000 people. That's just not. Really? You want to kill him because he, he did a miracle? Well, well, no, no, he, that was good. That's okay. He, he raised, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath and he healed someone. You, you, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. You do the same thing. You guys, got, listen, the guy, was, the guy was laying there and he healed them and now he's got a job. He's a productive, mem- productive member of society and you want to kill him for that? Well, he's just, he's just messing things up. Jesus is just messing things up. He's just not doing the way. He's just not playing the game fair. He's just not playing by the rules. He needs to play by our rules, not his rules. And so you want to kill him. Well, and and that's exactly what the word of God says, right? That they want to kill him. Something's happening now, guys. It says in verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And this is for my Bible students, guys. If you're taking notes, there were three feasts. Every Jewish male went, that had to go within 15 miles, you had to go to these feasts, okay? Number one, it was called the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Passover. And this always happened in March and April. And I told first service this, I'll tell you, I'm going to stand over here, it's just my opinion. Everybody comes up around, around December 25th and say, was Jesus really born on December 25th? Well, more than likely, I think Jesus was born right around March or April. And he could have actually been born on Passover, or that's just my opinion. Why? Because it happens right there. And you go, why do you think that? Give me some background. Well, just real quick, guys. It says that the shepherds were out in the fields. And in December 25th in Israel, it's really, really cold. And the shepherds wouldn't go out in the fields. They'd either go out till the end of October or they would start in the spring. 
just my opinion, but it was the Feast of Passover, right? It's the Feast of Passover. The second feast the Jews were required to attend was the Feast of Pentecost, and this happened midsummer, the Feast of Pentecost. The third feast that the Jews were required to attend was called the Feast of Tabernacles, and this came around October. You know, what was Tabernacles? That sounds weird. What is it? Well, it, mem- it memorialized the wanderings. Remember where the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years? Well, what would happen, guys, is they would go, okay, we need to come to this feast because we need to what? We need to memorialize this. And so they would come into the city from all over, and they would set up tents everywhere. And if you, were, um, if you were, lived in Jerusalem, you'd put tents on top of your house. And, and basically, you would, you would look up to the stars, and you would live in the tents seven days. Now, here's why it's the most popular of all the feasts. When you went to, piece of, to, when you went to the, the feast of the Passover, you had to get a room and you had to, there was a lot of expense involved. Here, you just brought your tent, if you will, your booth, and, and anybody could come and just live in there. Everybody was living outside, so it wasn't like a big deal, okay? And it's around October, so it's really nice. It's not, it's not really cold. And so everybody would come and, I mean, just, just set up your tent. Just set up your booth. That's what it was. And so you got to remember, in Jerusalem right now, it's probably all kinds of people from all over the place. All kinds of people from everywhere. This is the feast coming in. Well, guys, the historian Josephus tells us that this was the most popular of all the feasts. And so it's reasonable to assume that the city would be packed with people. I want, to, I want you to feel that, okay? I want you to just see, there you are in Jerusalem, and there's people, wall-to-wall people, I mean, just everywhere. Well, the first group we're introduced is a group who misinterpret Jesus. You go, who are they? They're called his advisors, if you will. They're his brothers, right? They're going to give him worldly advice. Look at verse 3. It says, his brothers, okay, therefore, there's a feast going on. His brothers, therefore, said to Jesus, depart from here and go to Judea. For your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. Here's why, Jesus. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Okay? Do you see where they're coming from? They're giving him, listen, guys, if you have a pencil handy, they're giving him worldly wisdom. Here's what they're saying. Jesus, if you want to be famous, what you doing here? My paraphrase, okay? What you doing here? Go up to Jerusalem and do your works there, and then everybody will just fall down and worship you. That'd be awesome. You'll get a good following. Listen, the news cameras are there. Everybody's going to see you. What are you doing here? Nobody who wants to be do who wants to be the Messiah, Jesus, and does all these things, does it secretly? Go out where all the people are. You guys get the point? What is it? They're not thinking straight. How do you know? Because the Bible said that this, listen to me, the Bible just said that even the disciples didn't believe in him. His, even his brothers were like, we don't, we don't believe in him. So they're giving him, help me, they're giving him worldly advice. You're giving, okay, two points on this, okay? First point, have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to advise God? God, listen, here's my life. And listen, this is how I think it should go down. Let me just tell you this, right? And, and, and so we try, to, we try to give advice to God on what we think, how it should go down. And the Lord's like, I feel like the Lord sometimes crosses in, oh, really, Ben? So you, you see this over here? Oh, no, Lord. Uh, did you understand this consequence if that happened? No, Lord. So you're trying to tell me how to run the universe. Just me? 
What if, yeah, thank you. <laughs> he didn't leave me alone up here, thank God. I, I, we, I, man, it's like, Lord, I see how this, listen, it's really simple. Just do this, 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 and this. And the Lord's like, oh, you be. What about when it comes to our lives, guys? Can I tell you this? Listen, you guys are going to go through a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations, okay? There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of stuff in your life. Make sure you're not listening to worldly wisdom. Make sure you get your advice from the Word of God. The enemy's going to come and say, you know what you should do? Well-meaning friends, you know what you should do? You should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, and I would do this, and how could no, no, no. I want, I want people around me that are going to direct me to the Word of God. Why? Because, because, again, we see his disciples, we see his brother, excuse me, giving him worldly advice. Where do you get that from? Where do you get that from, guys? Here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The point is that they didn't believe in the significance of what Jesus had come to do. So they tried to put him in the mold of their own thinking. Did, did you hear me, church? They're trying to put Jesus in the mold of their own thinking, and here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that's what we try to do when we give worldly advice. We try to, we try to put somebody else in the mold of our own thinking. What should we do? I don't know, but let me, let me, let's find out what the Word of God says. I don't know, but let's find out what Jesus says about this. Pastor, what happens if I have a friend that's just giving me worldly advice? Man, that's not a friend. A friend, a spouse, a parent should always point you to Jesus. And it's okay to go, I don't know. You're the pastor. That doesn't mean I know everything. I don't know. But Jesus does. Jesus does. So they've been trying to put him in the old, they assumed, right? They assumed that Jesus must have been thinking as they thought, right? So what are they doing? They're offering worldly wisdom. Paul actually talks about this. Did you know that? Paul talks about this at the beginning of his letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25. What does he do? He actually paints worldly wisdom as foolishness. Let me read it to you, guys. Let me read it. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul starts, he says, For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Do you see that? Isn't that true? Right off the bat, the cross, right? The message of the cross is foolishness. How many times you go, hey, you want eternal life? You got to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did at the cross. The cross, the cross, Jesus, no, it's, that's foolish. But it's only foolish to those who are perishing. But Paul says to you and I, guys, who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. For it is written, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, he asks? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Think about it. Think about it. The worldly wisdom is foolish. For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Isn't that, isn't that silly? How, think about how you got saved. Was it a foolish message? It seemed foolish at the time. And then you understood it, and then you heard it, and it wasn't foolish anymore. It wasn't foolish. 
Paul goes on and he says, for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, that's foolish. But to those, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what does Paul do? Paul just summarizes, guys. He says, listen, here's what he says. He's telling us, he says, I'm going to paint that worldly wisdom is what? Worldly wisdom as foolishness. That's foolishness compared to the wisdom of the Lord. And so, so now they're giving advice to Jesus. Jesus, go up, be famous, come on. All the people that they're waiting for you, come on, let's go. Let's and, and so Jesus responds, right? He responds to his family. And notice verse 6, and Jesus said to them, he says, my time has not yet come. Guys, it's not time for me to go up there. You go ahead and go up there. Your time is always ready. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that the works are evil. He says, guys, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up yet to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he said these things, he remained there in Galilee, but his brothers had gone up, and then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Okay? So there's two things before moving on. You see that? How does Jesus respond? Jesus says, listen, guys, listen, y'all go ahead. He said, y'all. He said, y'all go ahead. I'm not going up. He says, my time has not yet come. What does he mean by that? He means, listen, listen, there's, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Many of us are praying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and we want to go home. But we're like Paul. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You go, what does that mean? We're ready for Jesus to come get us. Can I get an amen? But we also know that there's a lot of work. And so we, we're going, okay, our time is not yet. Whenever, Lord, whenever you're ready, but until then, we've got a lot of work to do. Why? Because we can testify that we live in a world that's evil. It's getting ugly. Listen, I can tell you this as your pastor. As the days approach before the return of Jesus Christ, the enemy is going to increase in evilness and attacks to the church. As you can see how ugly and evil the world is getting, you know, okay, time is running out. I need to be on my knees. I need to be on my knees. Church, I would, I would encourage you at this point, and this is, this is one of those like um, PSA announcements, right? It's not part of the teaching, but I would encourage you to fast and pray and seek the Lord during this time. So you can walk so much closer to Jesus. So much closer to Jesus. So we can testify of that. The second thing that Jesus says, right? He says, my time has not yet fully come. What does he mean by that? Well, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? To die on the cross. And so he says, I'm not going up to the feast because not, it's not time for me to die yet. There's still a lot of work to do. I'm going to go up and I'm going to give another, I'm going to give another teaching. And we still got chapter 8, 9, 10. He didn't say that because he didn't know they were chapters. But nonetheless, he says there's a lot of work to be done, right? He says, but eventually I'm going to die on the cross. It's just not time. It's just not time. Do you realize that that was the purpose of Christ coming on earth? To die for our sins. To reconcile us back to him. Man, it's good stuff. So we got his what? We got his advisors. The second group we're going to meet are his admirers. 
admirers. These are people who think Jesus to be a good man. Look at verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast. Of course, they're looking for him. And they said, where is he? And there was such complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives people. Okay, so now you have the second group called his admirers. These people think Jesus is a good man, but where are they getting that from? It's based upon his ethic. They do not understand his divinity. Listen, let's put it in a modern phrase. They see everything that's going on on Snapchat. They see a lot of people posting on Facebook, and they're getting their information. That's good stuff, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine your family member calling you? Go, you won't believe what happened. We were following Jesus, right? You know Jesus. We were following him, and and I'm telling you, nobody had any food. This little boy had a sack lunch, and then next thing I know, guys, we all ate. We ate so much. It was incredible. I know it was a miracle. You're kidding me. Jesus did that? Yeah, and as a matter of fact, from what I understand, there were 12 baskets left over. I can't believe this. And then you get another call. You won't believe what happened. You remember remember Joe laying there, and, and he was crippled since birth, 38. You remember him? I saw him at Walmart the other day. He's walking. He's healed. I asked him. I said, dude, what's up? He said, Jesus. He said more like, Jesus. But anyways, so you know what I'm saying? And so that's the buzz going on in Israel. Okay, that's the buzz going on in Israel. And some are going, no, no. So you have a lot of admirers. You have a lot of admirers, okay? If Jesus was on Facebook, he has a lot of likes. These people, here's the problem. These people think he's a good man based on his ethics, but they don't understand his divinity. Let me let you on a little secret. There are a lot of people who are like that today. They think Jesus is a good man, but they don't see him as God. Listen to this letter. Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter to Ezra Stiles dated March 9th, 1790. And Franklin writes this. As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us the best the world has ever saw or is likely to see. But I apprehend that I've received various corrupting changes and that I have, quote, some doubts to his divinity, unquote. You go, what did he just say? Benjamin Franklin just wrote a letter and he says, I think Jesus is a good man. I just don't think he's fully the son of God. You're like, wow. What's the difference, guys? There's a lot of people who think Jesus is good. They're admirers. Jesus was a good man. He was a good prophet. I just don't think he was God. You go, what's the difference between good and God? One letter, oh, but think about it. It makes all the difference in the world. It makes eternity. Those who just simply are an admirer of Jesus are not going to go to heaven. Pastor, this is church. Don't talk about that. That's what we're here for. We're here to talk about, listen... Jesus said, if you partake of me, if you eat of me, then you'll have eternal life. That means you believe that Jesus is God, not just good. Jesus is good. Can I get an amen? Amen. But he's God. He's fully God. See, see, my sister got it right there. Mm. Get a little Pentecostal up in here. There's a lot of admirers out there, guys. There's a lot of admirers. They admire Jesus. They love and they what a wonderful man he was and what a great prophet and what a great team. Of course, he fed people. He healed people. Oh, it was amazing. But he wasn't God. I'm not going to put my faith and trust in him. And yet we have the word of God that says that's really what we need to do. We need to put our faith and trust in Jesus. 
help me, church, not only for our salvation, but for our everyday life. Our everyday life. We're playing. This, I mean, think about it. There's a lot of admirers. Jesus is so good. Do you know any admirers in your life? Do you know people who really admire Jesus, but, but they don't know him as God? So why was there complaining? You have a group of people going, oh, he's good. We just admire him. And then you've got a group of people going, no, he's a deceiver. I wonder why. Why was there a lot of complaining? I'll tell you why. Because the people, right, they complained because they both wanted to see Jesus fulfill their wishes for the Messiah and to fulfill them now. And they wanted him now. You see, they came in thinking that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome who had oppressed them. And they wanted him to stand up, build his kingdom, and I'm Jewish. Go, Jesus, go. Team Jesus, he's a good man. Well, when that doesn't happen, you've got to people go, no, he's deceiving the people. He's deceiving the people. He's deceiving the people. So you have a group of, listen, you have a group of advisors. You have a group of admirers, but you also have a group of despisers. These are people who say Jesus is a deceiver. Let's look at it again. Verse 12, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. And some said, he is good. While others said, look, no, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. He deceives the people. Now, at the end of verse 12, we learn that their people are saying that Jesus is a deceiver, and they really believe this. They're really tripping out, man. They're really going, he's a deceiver. You go, wow, that was then. No, no, no. Do you realize that there's people today that, are de- that think Jesus is a deceiver? Do you realize that there's a website, and I don't, I don't, I don't suggest you go there, but there's a website that's it's, it's called undojesus.org. And it was, a, it was a guy on Facebook, and he had, a, he had a sign, and the sign said, if Jesus returns, we'll kill him again. And if you go to the website, I went and I did some research, their website is all about telling us how Jesus was a deceiver. There are people today. You don't understand. There's a lot of people who are attacking. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is they go, listen, we're not, we're not against Christians. If you want to be a Christian, that's fine. But we're just telling you that we're, we're here to just, I mean, all of this garbage. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, they're just so, they're the ones that are being deceived. They're the ones deceived. Why? Because they're probably, guys, they're probably walking around unsatisfied. They probably walked around being hurt by religion been hurt by somebody who called themselves a Christian, been hurt. And so they take that and they thrust it upon God. God, you didn't do right by me. And so they, they're upset with the Lord. And they're, they're just like what we learned. They're deceivers. They're people in Jerusalem right now during this time going, I can't believe this. Now, listen, they're still out there today. But rarely do we come across in the Bible Belt, right? Rarely do we come across people going, no, I don't believe in Jesus. There's a kinder version of that. You go, what is it? They're the ones who say, I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's his followers I can't stand. You go, what do you mean? Well, see, they forget, guys, that Christ doesn't immediately make us perfect. And he puts us in the process of becoming what? Holy, progressive sanctification. And we know that certainly there are Christians out there that do bad things. We know that. 
And certainly there are such eras such as the Crusades and when the church authorized bad things. Well, what else should we expect from sinful and fallen world where even the redeemed continue to struggle? You with me? God didn't make us perfect. And the problem is, guys, is that when people go, oh, it's not Jesus, I have a problem with you. You go, oh, I'm so sorry, but I'm still working. God's still working on me. You realize that I'm under construction? You realize God's still working? I got a long way to go. And the, and, and the people go, well, you know what? I thought you were supposed to be. And they said, but, but I'm, I'm just human. I'm just a sinner, and I'm still struggle. Still struggle. Where does that leave us, church? Well, let me close with this. You've got advisors who don't know Jesus. You've got admirers who don't know Jesus. And you've got deceivers who don't know Jesus. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, first of all, we need to understand what's going on, okay? First and foremost, if you're an advisor or you're an admirer or you're a despiser, you have a faulty picture of humanity and you have a faulty picture of who Jesus is. We need to change that. You go, well, like what? What do we need to do? Our challenge, you ready? Is to be clear. The challenge is for us, for us to be clear on the nature of of who Jesus is and what he came for. We have to be clear on that. How are we clear on that? Words alone are not enough. You with me? They need to see it in our lives. Listen, we can debate with some of the best, but that doesn't mean we're going to win them to Christ. They need to see it real in our hearts and in our lives. One of, our, one of our biggest things here, guys, is loving people back to life. And so what do we need to do? We need to, love, we need to love advisors into the kingdom. We need to love the admirers into the kingdom. I need to sit up here and beg and plead with you. If you're not walking with Jesus, you need to walk with Jesus. Because the day is coming. The day is coming, church. Make no, make no mistake. The day is coming when when. when when his judgment is going to come down. There's going to be a lot of admirers wanting to get to heaven and can't because they've never became a follower of God. And you go, wait, Ben, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so you're talking, about, you're, talking about admi- you're talking about advisors, yes. You're talking about admirers, yes. Well, what if they just tell me they were born that way? Then I would tell you, well, that's why Jesus said they need to be born again. Because... An advisor doesn't get you to heaven. An admirer doesn't get you to heaven. You need to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus to get you to heaven. And he stands with his arms open wide and he says, okay, come on. How many of you would come? How many of you would come and say, I want Jesus. I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I've admired Jesus for a long time. Amen. We're glad you're admiring him. But We need to move you from being an admirer to being a follower. How do we do that? Love. Love. Love does that. Love does that. How do we drive out? Does dark drive out the dark? No, light does, right? So how do we drive out hate? Love. Love. Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you for the truth in your word. We love you, Jesus. You're amazing and wonderful, and we just, we just thank you, God. Lord Jesus, I wouldn't honor you if I didn't offer an opportunity for anyone to surrender to Jesus. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just ask, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? I don't know if I'm in right relationship with God. I, I, I heard you say some things and some lights were going on, and I got to be honest with you. I think I'm an admirer. I don't think I'm a fully devoted follower of God. And, and you were saying some stuff, and I feel like the Spirit was prompting me. Would you just pray for me? I want to I surrender my life to Jesus. I want to know beyond a shadow of doubt that if I died today, I'd go to heaven because I'm a follower of his. In other words, Pastor, I don't want to play church anymore. I, I, I want to surrender completely today. If that's you, nobody looking around, if that's you and God is speaking to your heart, would you just simply lift your hand so I can pray for you? Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand right now, and I'll just acknowledge you, and I'll pray for you. And then you can pray a prayer, and we'll lead you to Christ. We'll lead you there. If you're not in a right relationship with Jesus today, but you want to be, will you lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord. We can't wait to hang out with you next week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.